My name is Kofi Apia for another edition of the Broadcast Journal. My guest today is the television voice of the New York Rangers, is Sam Rosen. How are you doing, Sam? I'm doing well. And you? I'm doing well <laughs> myself. <laughs> so let's talk about the fact that uh, recently you got inducted to the Hockey Hall of Fame. You won the Foster Hero Award. Uh, go, go through the process in terms of when you found out about getting the award and then the whole uh, the whole weekend in the Hockey Hall of Fame back in November. The call I got was back in early June of 2016. Uh, came from Chuck Caton, who's the president of the NHL Broadcasters Association. And basically it was a call uh, which I didn't uh, get directly. I got a message and it was from Chuck. Hey, Sam, how are you? I'm coming to New York in a couple of weeks. I want to uh, go to a couple of shows or games. Uh, I want to talk to you about it. So I called him back, and he was on the golf course, and he was uh, putting for a birdie, and I think he made the birdie. And then he said, uh, oh, by the way, um, make sure your schedule is open the second week weekend, uh, second week of November. And I said, ah, uh-oh, something's going on. And uh, he said, congratulations, you've been uh, voted the winner of the Foster Hewitt Award. And um, it was um, an overwhelming feeling, to say the least, uh, to be recognized uh, by the hockey community uh, for all the the time that I've spent in, all the work I've done, I think is a tremendous honor, and I, you know, I was overwhelmed. And then um, in November, I'm getting a, some sound effects here. Um, in November, my family and myself went up uh, to Toronto. Uh, we had a great weekend up there. It was great. Uh, get together, myself, my wife's family. Um, we spent the weekend uh, up in Toronto, some festivities. Uh, we had some parties. And then uh, Monday, we uh, had a luncheon. Uh, the broadcaster uh, who's inducted, myself, and Bob Verdi, who was re receiver or the recipient of the Elmer Ferguson Award for sports journalism uh, were honored together. And uh, again, just a, a great setting where my entire family is there, my sons, my grandchildren, uh, extended family, and then uh, people throughout the community, uh, previous winners were there. Bob Miller uh, was there. You just see people that you know, Hall of Famers. Bobby Hull was there. Tony Esposito was there. Uh, again, members of the hockey community at all levels, journalists, uh, management people, former coaches. It was just a great gathering. And again, to be honored and singled out is uh, a humbling experience. And then that night... Uh, at the general awards for the players, 
and uh, the founders, the late Pat Quinn was honored, uh, Eric Lindros was honored, uh, Sergei Makarov was honored, Rogi Vashon, uh, myself and Bob Verdi were introduced uh, and uh, again singled out uh, amongst the audience there and it was uh, a great honor to be uh, part of the great hockey scene of the, at the Hall of Fame. So again, just uh, overwhelming, humbling, and probably the greatest moment that I had was being in the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame and walking up into the Great Hall and looking at all the plaques and the great names uh, that have gone on in hockey and you walk along uh, the section where the broadcasters and the uh, journalists are and suddenly there's my name and that's uh, a feeling that's hard to describe and you know that um, you're enshrined forever and so it was uh, it was a great uh, great honor and it was a great weekend and um, just as the season has gone on you run into people who uh, congratulate uh, and congratulate me on my uh, being inducted, and it's a again a wonderful experience to be singled out by everyone. Now let's go to where it all started. You started <laughs> as a, statist a statistician for um, the Knicks radio back in 1970. Talk about that experience. Well, um, I go back to uh, those days I, where. You're able to, to meet people who are very important in your life and in your career. And while I was in college at City College of New York, uh, I worked part-time at WINS uh, All News Radio. Uh, they had gone All News in 1964, and um, I spent uh, a few years there working in the news department and met Jim Gordon, who was the morning anchor and also at the time was doing uh, Knicks basketball on TV and later on Rangers hockey on TV. And Jim uh, was basically my mentor. He was the guy that uh, I looked up to, uh, I went to for guidance and advice, and the guy who uh, helped me uh, immensely in my career, and in 1970, uh, what you're alluding to, uh, I got a call from Jim. The Knicks were in the midst of uh, an 18-game winning streak, um, and they already were on the local channel, WNBC Radio, uh, which is now WFAN. They were on 660, and Marv Albert was doing the play-by-play -play for the Knicks at the time. Uh, the Madison Square Garden wanted to set up a radio network outside of the city in upstate New York, in uh, adjacent states, New Jersey, Connecticut, uh, Rhode Island, uh, New Hampshire, Massachusetts. They reached uh, throughout New England and set up a, a network of well over 30 stations. And Jim Gordon was uh, doing the play-by-play, -play, and he called me and asked me to be his statistician. And during the course of the year, uh, while we did the stats, uh, we get to a point where 
at halftime or at the end of the game, uh, he turned to me one during one broadcast and said, hey, these are your stats. You do them on the air because he knew that um, I wanted to be a broadcaster. That was my goal, and he gave me the opportunity to get some experience, if only doing stats, if only reading the stats. But I was able to work alongside him, one of the uh, true professionals and one of the great professionals that I'd ever had the opportunity to meet and learn from him and watch him do play-by-play. And uh, uh, to me, he was uh, one of the most versatile broadcasters uh, ever because of his great ability to be um, a newsman, a news anchor, a news reporter, a sports play-by-play guy, uh, and doing all sports. He did the Knicks, the Rangers, uh, eventually went on to do do the Giants on radio here in New York. So um, it was a great, great learning experience being able to work alongside Jim. And then you moved on to Connecticut. How would you remember your time in Connecticut? One of the uh, stations on the network uh, was uh, WICC Radio, which I eventually uh, wound up working for. But uh, I had sent out um, audition tapes, uh, and one station, WNAB, contacted me uh, and asked me if I was interested in being uh, on the air doing uh, news. And again, through my experiences having been at WINS and working alongside Jim and watch, Jim Gordon and watching him work and do his uh, news work. Um, I submitted uh, tapes. Uh, they liked what they heard, but they were also in the process of restructuring their uh, uh, management team. Uh, they were hiring a new news director, and I was kind of strung along for several months. and. Uh, It was a nervous time because they kept on saying, yeah, we like you, we want to hire you, but we're waiting to hire a news director first. So uh, as it turned out, uh, we got to election day of uh, 1970, and uh, they gave me a call and asked if I would uh, cover the uh, election headquarters of uh, the late Stuart McKinney, who wound up uh, winning the, a congressional seat from uh, Connecticut uh, in the uh, Fairfield County area. And I went up there and uh, was able to get him to the telephone during the election process, get him and be part of the interview uh, of his winning uh, the, the congressional seat. So that kind of put me over the top with the people at WNAB. Uh, They finally got their news director in. They hired me, and from there it became a stepping stone process. Uh, Six months after I got the job at WNAB as a a newsman, a news anchor on uh, the radio station, and also covering City Hall as a political reporter, uh, I went uh, to WICC, which is a... Uh, which at the time was a stronger station um, in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And uh, I was hired there and worked there for three years. Also as their morning newsman, following uh, my uh, 
doing anchoring the morning news uh, in drive time and through the morning hours. Then I went over to City Hall and covered City Hall as, uh, as a reporter. So uh, that gave me a lot of on-air experience, uh, but at, I also maintained uh, the job as statistician with the Knicks Radio Network for uh, a few years to maintain my contacts in New York City and with Madison Square Garden. And then you moved on to WP, uh, UPI. W, uh, WPI. No, it wasn't a, yeah, it was UPI Audio Network. It was a non-commercial radio network. Um, I was hired there in September of 1973. At the time, it was a uh, one-man operation led by uh, uh, Ed Ingalls, who was a renowned uh, broadcaster in the New York market. And uh, I knew Ed from his days at WINS uh, when he was uh, an overnight newsman and news anchor. Um, but uh, they expanded, UPI Audio Network expanded from one person to three, and I was one of the three. And uh, that was an invaluable experience. I stayed there from uh, September of 1973 uh, to the beginning of 1981. and covered uh, all sports, everything that you can think of, I covered. It was uh, covering U.S. Open golf, U.S. Open tennis, um, uh, the horse racing, the Kentucky Derby, uh, the World Series, uh, college football, pro football, uh, baseball, locally going out and covering the Yankees and the Mets. It was... uh, Tremendous experience and uh, gave me uh, great, uh, great knowledge and great uh, experience being out in the field, covering live events, the biggest events, as I mentioned, the World Series. Uh, I covered the World Series in from '75 through '79, and uh, was was there filing reports, interviewing the players. I remember during the 75 World Series between the Reds and uh, the Red Sox being up in Boston and they had uh, a couple of days uh, straight of rain and the the game kept getting rained out and the teams would work out indoors at the local gym and I remember being in the gym and sitting on the gym floor against the wall with Pete Rose and Joe Morgan and Johnny Bench and and talking and interviewing them. It was a tremendous experience, a great learning experience, and a great broadcast experience for me. Now, I remember a few years ago on Keith Overman's show, you actually worked with Keith Overman, right? Yes, I hired him at UPI. Uh, I uh, eventually became the sports director there in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, and uh, hired Keith, uh, I believe it was his first on-air job, and uh, terrific, uh, terrific mind, terrific uh, voice, great broadcaster, um, and a fun guy to uh, cover events with. We covered the 1980 Olympics in Lake Placid together, and that was a tremendous experience. And, of course, the 1980 Olympics, uh, I was able to cover uh, hockey and the U.S. winning the gold, uh, which may be one, maybe, uh, one of the greatest, if not 
the greatest sporting event uh, uh, ever. Uh, certainly you can make a case for it and uh, how much it did for hockey uh, and, and for the Olympics in U.S. sports. Now, and then you um, went to ESPN. Now, it's not the ESPN we know today, <laughs> but um, how was uh, it working at ESPN in those early years? When they went on the air in 19, September of 1979, um, I was uh, working uh, during the summer of 79 for UPI Audio Network, and I was covering the U.S. Open at uh, U.S. Open Tennis Tournament at Flushing Meadows, and uh, I was wrapping up my day uh, having done uh, reports covering the uh, the matches that uh, afternoon and suddenly my phone rang and it was a gentleman named Scotty Connell who had gone to work for ESPN I had been trying to reach him he had been the executive producer at NBC Sports and I had been sending him tapes and resumes for a couple of years and could not uh, connect with him. Uh, here he was giving me a call uh, at UPI, and he said, Hi, I'm Scotty Connell. I'm with ESPN. We're uh, going to be an all-sports network, and we're going on the air uh, at the beginning of September, and we'd like you to do a football game for us. And uh, I, of course, said yes. Uh, after I made sure it was him and it wasn't a, a, a prank call. Um, and I did a game at Yankee Stadium. It was the Whitney M. Young Classic uh, featuring uh, Grambling and Morgan State at Yankee Stadium. My color, it was a three-man team. It was myself, Paul Warfield, Hall of Fame wide receiver, and a fellow named Toby Cunningham, who was the producer, director. Uh, at the time that ESPN went on the air, they couldn't do live college football games. They had to delay tape them. And uh, so we went, we uh, taped the game on uh, Saturday, and I believe it aired uh, either Sunday or Monday. Or Monday. Uh, but we went on for a couple of years uh, I, doing uh, college football. I worked with uh, Paul McGuire, and he and I uh, were one of the early college football teams. Uh, Jim Simpson and Bud Wilkinson were the number one football team, and myself and Paul McGuire were the number two team. But uh, getting back to those early days of ESPN, they uh, tried to sign as many sports and different sports as they could. Uh, they did uh, they signed a boxing deal and I did their early boxing as a forerunner to what became their longtime uh, boxing show Top Rank Boxing which was led by Bob Arum but prior to that uh, they signed a deal with a Philadelphia promoter um, and we did a lot of fights in Pennsylvania Knights of Columbus um, and uh, in the Pittsburgh area, we did um, actually, I think it might have been the Wilkesbury area, but uh, then we did uh, fights in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. So I did boxing for them. They signed a hockey deal, a 10 game package with the Hartford Whalers and the Washington Capitals. And 
I did the the hockey uh, at the time, and whatever sport they came to me with and asked me to do, I just said yes. And uh, if I knew how to do it, I went and did it. And if I didn't know how to do it, I found out how to do it. I did women's field hockey. Uh, I did table tennis. Uh, whatever they threw at me, I made sure I said yes and tried to do um, to the best of my ability. Um, wound up doing Australian rules football in the studio. So um, uh, it was a, a tremendous experience uh, being on the air from the early days of ESPN and uh, got to do college baseball and did the College World Series from 1984 through 1988 and saw some of the great uh, ball players that uh, came out of universities around the country, saw some great baseball and had uh, great times, worked with Joe Morgan, worked with Jim Cott, uh, worked with Jim Price. Um, just uh, a great, great experience to be with ESPN from, from the beginning and just seeing the growth uh, of ESPN in those early days. And then, um, obviously, you've been in MSG for a long time. Uh, you first started as a freelancer. Talk about that experience, then talk about when you, when you finally got a full-time position within MSG Network. Well, with MSG, again, it goes back to the great experience uh, uh, and the great friendship I had with Jim Gordon. Um, at the time, Jim was doing uh, New York Rangers hockey on TV. Um, I was... Uh, still at UPI Audio Network and sending uh, tapes and resumes to Madison Square Garden. And in early 1977, February of 1977, Jim Gordon was supposed to do fill-in for Marv Albert on a Knicks-Nets game at Madison Square Garden. And uh, Jim got sick and was unable to do the game and they asked him if he could recommend someone to fill in for him. And he recommended me. And uh, I've been with MSG ever since. Uh, those first five years, beginning in early of 77, I was the fill-in guy back initially uh, backing up Marv Albert on radio uh, on Knicks games. The following year, they came to me and asked me if I could do hockey. Well, during the course of my time at uh, uh, UPI and going to MSG to cover Rangers hockey and uh, get interviews with players and cover the Knicks, I would go off to uh, a corner of the press box and do play-by-play, -play, do a period of play-by-play, -play, and I uh, just built up a library of tapes uh, so that when the time, if and when the time came that I needed them, I had something uh, to show them. Well, when they asked me, the people at MSG asked me if I could do hockey, I said, sure, I can do hockey. And I gave them some of the tapes that I had done uh, at the Garden covering uh, Ranger games, and they liked it. And then I became Jim Gordon's backup on TV and Marv Albert's backup on Rangers hockey on radio because Marv was doing both the Knicks and the Rangers at the time. And um, it just became a, 
a growing process of uh, doing, uh, I was wound up doing somewhere in the 30 to 35 game range because uh, Marv would have many conflicts with uh, the Knicks and the Rangers and it opened up opportunities for me. Um, there was a, I believe it was the 1978-79 season in November of 78, Jim Gordon uh, had a back problem, was uh, laid up in the hospital for a couple of weeks in traction and was actually out for a month and I filled in on TV for him doing Ranger games. So it was all uh, a stepping stone process and in 1982, uh, I signed my full, my first full-time contract with Madison Square Garden to be the host. They went to three-hour blocks and um, pre-game, post-game, and I would host Knicks uh, basketball on TV, Rangers hockey on TV, and fill in on radio play-by-play whenever the opportunity presented itself. And then uh, in 1984. Uh, they came to me and um, said that they were going to make a change in the TV play-by-play role, and uh, they wanted me to be the Rangers TV play-by-play guy. And that uh, uh, was the start of my career doing the Rangers, but also uh, one of the most difficult decisions that I ever had to make because I was being asked to replace Jim Gordon who uh, had helped me more than anyone uh, in get to where I was. And uh, it was a very tough decision, but they said to me they were going to make a change, and if it wasn't me, then someone else would be asked to do it. Uh, And at at that point I said uh, I agreed and accepted the role and been doing it ever since. So 1984... Um, September uh, of 84, I became the uh, the Rangers play-by-play man, and here we are in uh, 2017, and I'm still <laughs> the Rangers play-by-play man. Did you talk to Jim about it? When he, when it was... we, we spoke about it. Um, Jim was a uh, very prideful man, and um, I think he was uh, hurt deeply by them wanting to make a change. They offered him another role at the Garden, so uh, he wasn't being cut loose. They wanted him to be kind of the swing man to do all the sports that were going on at the Garden, uh, uh, to do some fill-in in in hockey and basketball, do do boxing. There was boxing work um, and and other sports that would come into the Garden. but Jim uh, said no, and he left, and uh, that was a very difficult thing. Uh, you know, again, it was one of those situations where a man with great pride had, had uh, was a great, great professional and a great broadcaster. And but uh, I think he was so hurt by them wanting to make a change that uh, he didn't want to uh, stay around. Now you started. Uh Doing Rangers play-by-play announcer Phil Esposito as your Phil Esposito was my color commentator. He had been there working uh, with Jim Gordon uh, from the time he retired in 1981, 
And um, Phil and I spent two seasons together. He uh, then became the general manager of the Rangers. I got him a really good job as the general manager of the team. And uh, then John Davidson came in in uh, the the uh, beginning of the 1986-87 season, and we worked together for 20 years. And now uh, uh, Joe Micheletti is my uh, sidekick, and uh, we've been together. This is our 11th year together. Now, uh, there's a story about how you're famous. It's a power play goal. <laughs> Apparently that you didn't say it uh, to Phil Esposito's liking, and, and that's how it became. It's a power play goal. Is that how <laughs> I it don't, went? I don't know if that's the – I don't remember it that way. Mm-hmm. I just – what I remember, and it, it, that may have happened. That may be the way it, it, it came about. Uh, uh, I just remember that one season – the Rangers had a great had great success on the power play, and it was almost as if every game or every other game they were scoring on the power power play, and uh, it almost became like a a running joke where hey look it's it's a power play goal, and I think that to me I remember. Uh, it's starting that way that they were scoring so many power play goals that it became oh wow it's a power play goal and I think uh, it's evolved from there as uh, one of those calls where people liked it uh, it became part of uh, my one of my signature calls and uh, as and the power play being uh, a key element of hockey, uh, I realized it was an, an important thing and try to make it uh, or try to keep it and, and, and enhance the importance of it by uh, reacting in a, in a way to single it out. Wow, it's a power play goal. Now I talked about your partner, John Davison, your former partner, John Davison. When did you, when did you guys know uh, you had something special? in terms of a commentating pair? Well, I think we, John and I had known each other for a lot of years, uh, even going back to his playing days. When I mentioned my days at at UPI of covering the Rangers, he was playing. He was the Rangers goalie. And, uh, uh, you know, I'd interview him many times, got to know him. Um, You know, when he stopped playing and actually forced to retire because of injuries, uh, first knee injury, then back injury, and he went in uh, into the broadcast booth. He was actually the third man in the booth, which uh, he didn't feel comfortable with and eventually left to go to Canada to really learn uh, to be a broadcaster, which is what he did, and I give him... Uh, I have the utmost respect for John and admiration for what he did. But when he came back in 1986, uh, we were familiar with each other. We were friends. We had been, uh, we'd meet each other out on the road when he was covering games uh, for Hockey Night in Canada and, uh, and Canadian Broadcasting. Uh, so we would see each other out on the road. We, we knew each other well. We were friends. 
uh, and we came, became even closer friends when he moved to New York. So I think it was that friendship and the trust that we had in one another that enabled us to become a real good broadcast team. I, I trusted him because I knew his knowledge of the game was second to none. I knew him as a player. I knew he knew the game. And now when he came back to New York as a broadcaster, everyone knew uh, that he was the best out there. And the best thing that Madison Square Garden did was hire him to come in. And what proved uh, them right is that every network that signed the deal with the National Hockey League to do network hockey telecast, he was the number one analyst. So when it was on um, NBC, he was the man. When it went to ABC, he was the man. When it went to ESPN, he was the man they hired. He Wherever it went to Fox in 1985, he was the man they hired. Uh, wherever hockey got a national deal, John Davidson was the first one hired because he was the best, um, the best ever. And uh, he, uh, he set the standard for hockey broadcasting. But getting back to your original question, I think uh, we had, I don't want to call it instant chemistry, but probably as close to it as you could have, again, because of the, the friendship factor, the knowledge factor, the willingness to learn from one another. He would learn from me as a broadcaster. I would learn from him in his preparation. No one uh, knew more about what was going on in the league. He had satellite dishes and got all the, the games. And I realized that in order to keep pace with him, so that I didn't lag behind and seem to not know what was going on, I got a, sat a satellite dish and put it on top of my house so that I could watch games around the league and be prepared to uh, converse on the air during games about uh, what was happening in other cities, in other games, and um, that I learned from him. That was a preparation part that I learned from John. Now, your current partner, Joe McAlady, and not many people realize this, but you actually worked with him before you guys were together on the NHL now, and Fox. Talk about uh, those days. When, uh, when Fox signed the deal after the Rangers won the Cup in 1994, Fox signed the network deal, a five-year deal with uh, the National Hockey League, and went on the air. When the league came back, we had uh, a lockout at the time. The work stoppage, uh, we lost the first part of the season. The league uh, uh, picked up in January of 1995, and Fox went on the air uh, with national uh, over-the-air contracts. It was the first uh, over-the-air contract that the NHL had uh, since the days of uh, the NHL on CBS in the 70s. But... Um, the two teams that they hired, Mike Emmerich and John Davidson, were one team. Myself and Joe Micheletti were the second team. And uh, Joe and I worked together for 
the duration of the Fox contract, five years that Fox had the contract and worked together. Uh, Joe uh, wound up uh, coming from St. Louis to the New York market and became the Islanders' uh, color analyst. And when uh, John Davidson left uh, Madison Square Garden to go become the president of hockey operations for uh, the St. Louis Blues, uh, Joe Micheletti was uh, the natural choice because he, similar to John, was uh, uh, one of the most prepared and knowledgeable broadcasters in the, in the game and in television, had network experience, had the local New York experience, uh, so he came over to uh, the Rangers, and uh, we've now been together for 11 years. But uh, Joe is of that same uh, ilk as J.D., the great preparation, uh, great knowledge of the game as a player, having played it at the uh, professional level in the WHA and uh, some in the National Hockey League, and uh, at the coaching level, having been an assistant coach with the St. Louis Blues. So um, his, his great knowledge of the game, our uh, knowledge of each other from the years at Fox, really helped and made it a, a natural uh, uh, partnership when Joe came over from the Islanders to the Rangers. Is there any, anything that stands out from your time at Fox? Any games? Any moments? Uh, Boy, that's just nothing singular, I guess. You know, some of those uh, uh, overtime playoff games were always great. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that there was a singular game to me. I, I was able to do so many games throughout the course of my career. Uh, I worked 12 years with the NHL Radio Network and did the Stanley Cup. Uh, from 1996 through 2006, uh, or actually, actually 2008. The last one I did was uh, when the uh, Red Wings uh, won the Cup over, over Pittsburgh. So I spent a lot of years doing Stanley Cup Finals. Um, obviously the Rangers uh, Cup Final in 94 uh, stands out as uh, the ultimate highlight. Um, but the, the years at Fox were, were great years, um, just doing the, the national telecast around the league. Uh, I remember doing uh, the games at, at the Thunderdome in St. Petersburg when they had 27,000 people there to cover the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Philadelphia Flyers playoff games. So that, uh, that's something that sticks out for me. But uh, those playoff years uh, were special, um, calling games involving the uh, Detroit Red Wings sweeps uh, as they went to the, the championship, uh, winning the Stanley Cup in 97 and 98. Those were, uh, those were important times and important games, um, doing those those games, being at the Stanley Cup Final uh, in 1999 uh, on radio in Buffalo, but uh, having done earlier playoff games for Fox. I think the playoff games are probably uh, what stands out the most 
because of the importance of the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, in in hockey and uh, the great uh, emphasis uh, that they have and the great uh, how much they stand out and how much is put into them by the players and by the league. Now you still have a relationship with Fox Sports. You do their NFL games. So how'd you get that job? And what's your fa- what's been your most favorite thing about doing football games? Uh, we look at uh, starting in 1995 with hockey on Fox. I did a couple of years uh, with Fox. They got to know me. In 1997, they came and asked me if I would do uh, a number of football games, kind of. Uh, a fill-in swing guy on those weekends where they would have a lot of games uh, when they would have six or seven or even up to eight regional games. They needed guys to do play-by-play, and they asked me to do football. So for a couple of seasons, uh, I was that that swing guy, and I did about seven or eight games uh, for Fox. Fox also... Uh, wound up having a uh, working out a deal with Madison Square Garden at the time where they uh, they had some part ownership um, and they provided programming uh, for the cable side and uh, so there was a good relationship, good working relationship between the Garden and Fox. So when Fox came to me in 1999 and asked if I would do a full schedule of games um, I cleared it with MSG and we reached an agreement where I could miss um, a few Ranger games in order to do Fox National Football games and uh, again because there was that good working relationship between MSG and Fox they, they were able to work it out and um, so I went a number of years where I was doing 17 weeks of football, and um, it was it's great because football, as you well know, being that singular sport on Sundays, uh, got a lot of uh, lot of access and did a lot of great games and met a lot of great players, and uh, it was a great time for me. Now I'm doing kind of a going back to those original days where I'm the swing guy uh, when uh, a large portion of my schedule now my football schedule will come when Fox does uh, the baseball playoffs and Joe Buck will uh, come off of football and go do baseball playoffs. Kevin Burkhart is also will come off football and uh, go into the studio and do baseball. So I'll get I'll fill in for one of those guys with their teams and do uh, four weeks of football. Uh, Those heavy weeks, weekends where they have seven or eight games, I'll do a couple of games. So I wind up doing seven or eight games during the course of the football season. And it's, it's, again, you know, uh, winding up doing great games, seeing great players, um, the getting to do games involving Peyton Manning and and meeting him and watching him uh, prepare for games and learning how he prepares for games. Aaron Rodgers, uh, Drew Brees, getting to know uh, these great 
future Hall of Famers, uh, being doing Giants games where, when uh, I was doing games locally for Fox, uh, I'd get to do and meet Eli Manning and uh, the many great players and the and the Giants and the great coaches that uh, you get to meet and uh, and you learn from, get great information from. Uh, just an overall tremendous experience because of the great importance uh, and significance that football has in uh, in our lives in the fall. You know, now it's become so big with fantasy football. So uh, it's it's the importance that football has, uh, the NFL being as big as it is, uh, the uh, importance of those Sunday games. Uh, when you go in, you have uh, great access to coaches and players, and it's a great experience meeting all of them. Now, a couple more questions. Uh, sure. One is, uh, besides 1994, are there any, like, great memories of doing games for the Rangers that you can remember? Uh, I remember doing a couple of games in those uh, in the late 80s, uh, especially New Year's Eve games. We would dress up and uh, we would be in our tuxedos. Uh, Phil Esposito uh, would be, I remember him being behind the bench in a tuxedo on a for a New Year's Eve game, I remember uh, a great Rangers Islanders uh, game when Tomas Sandstrom scored a hat trick. Um, just those those special moments that stand out. I remember Halloween ga- games on Halloween where we would be on the road and uh, John Davidson and I would would wear some crazy costumes with witches' hair and, and uh, long, fake noses. Just uh, kind of fun times. But also was going into um, great arenas uh, and, for example, going out and for, uh, with the Rangers starting the season in Europe. Uh, the NHL went for several years as they try to um, broaden their base, uh, their fan base, and expand into Europe, um, they they would open the season playing, sending a couple of teams to Europe to play games there. And we we opened our season in Prague in the Czech Republic. Uh, it was a fascinating experience to be in a country that I never would have been uh, at. I remember the 93-94 season, we began our preseason in London doing the French's Mustard Cup, two games between the Rangers and the Toronto Maple Leafs. But it was the start of the Mike Keenan era as a coach, and we flew over there, and it was whirlwind. We were there for four days, and we played two games and tried to see as much of London as we could. But again, a great experience uh, being out there with the team uh, to a place that uh, I otherwise had never gotten to. And here here we were doing Rangers hockey in London. So experiences like that, that uh, just fascinating and uh, great to be a part of. My last question is, I always ask my guests this, what do you, when it's all said and done, how do you like to be remembered? I would... uh, well, first off, 
I can't envision it being uh, all said and done, but uh, I know eventually that day will come. But right now, it's it's not in my uh, in my thought process whatsoever because uh, I love what I do so much, and I think that's how I would like to be remembered. That that I had a love for the game that I brought to my broadcast, and that when people watched and listened, uh, they could feel how much I cared about the game and cared about the players.